You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Thinking Basketball Podcast, welcome back to another episode. My name is Ben, and Cody, Today, I, I'm psyched for today's show. Are you psyched up for today's show? I'm so amped up. I weirdly got a package. It must have been from you because it had the Thinking Basketball logo on it, Ooh. and it said, this is for you, Joakim Noah. Let's get it. And I opened it up, and it was just a bag of smelling salts. And so <laughs> I'm just this? sitting here like, okay, this is what we're doing today, so... I'm I'm ready. I'm ready for anything that happens. You're, wait, you're getting Joakim's Noah Noah's mail? What's happening? I think I think last time or a couple times ago, I referred to myself as Draymond Green, and you you must have been like, no, you're more of a Joakim Noah. You need you need the smelling salts on the sideline type of guy. I don't, man. I can't remember this. Maybe I sent out a package. I didn't even know you could get mail in the wilderness where you are. It's so freezing cold. Um, how, how's, how's your weather been this week? Everything okay? Will we record? The pipes aren't going to freeze? See, this is, this is perfect podcasting for me. Every podcast needs to start with a weather report in the Midwest. <laughs> like me and if I'm on with Mark Schindler, like the first 10 minutes are just like, so how's the weather over by you in Ohio? Uh, it's been warmer. Uh, it sounds like the rest of the East Coast got a lot more snow than us. So it's been nice to be like, ah, not us this time. Not us in Minnesota. Fantastic. What what are we going to talk about today? We have a lot on the agenda. What's like what what's top of mind for you right now? Okay, so I have a question for you because I, I was blown away by this. Right. Okay. So I'm I'm a teacher. Came back from New Year's, and I was all excited because I'm like I have this great idea for an assignment. We're going to do a bunch of top ten lists. We're going to analyze top ten lists. You're going to make your own top ten lists of stuff. And so I started. You know, I was just asking them like kids. Children, high schoolers, do you all like lists? Like, to raise your hand if you like lists. Like, three of them raised their hand. And so I, I'm, like, shocked. I'm like, I don't know if I'm in a community that obsesses over lists. I don't know if I'm the minority of loving lists. Just, like, ranking anything. Do, do you like lists? Are you a list guy? Uh, do you have a list of your top ten lists? Oh, wow. I, I have not become that meta yet. But The Ringer literally had, like, the best lists of lists of 2021. And that so was one of the parts of So this of my has assignment. been done, yeah. Oh yeah. I, um, man, it's funny that you bring that up. I love lists. I grew up loving lists. I also think when you get into certain territories, the list becomes a problem. I've talked about this with basketball before, where if your list blends criteria, we we talked about this with the top seventy-five team. Like if your list blends criterias, then it obfuscates the thing it's trying to communicate. So it can be a really good communication tool. But I prefer generally when I go deep on things, something that's a little bit more fluid. It's the reason why I use ranges when I talk about all-time players or ranking players or things like that. People have used tiers. That's become somewhat popular, right? Tier- tiers are okay, too. I mean, these are all different ways to communicate sort of preferences or hierarchies about how you feel about things. And my only issue with tiers is that sometimes like the guy on the edge of one tier and the first guy in the next tier, they actually, depending on who they are, they can blend over into different tiers. So you're still drawing a line when you say like, this person goes from tier three to tier two. I I have a harder time with that. So I just kind of 
at this point, I prefer to talk about the range of something. And, um, you know, some players I see in very narrow ranges in basketball and some players I see in very broad ranges. But, yeah, some people don't like lists at all. And, you know, I like myself a good list. I, I'm, I reserve the right to change my mind on my list, like my top five apple pies. I mean, that can change. Wait, like from different places from which you would get an apple pie? Is that your top five apple pies? I don't know. I, when, I, I, when it came out, I realized what I had done. Maybe I meant the top five apple pies I've ever made. I don't know. Do you, do you bake apple pies? Are you a baker? I'm not a baker. I don't know why I said that either. Because <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my grandmother growing up, my mom, my wife, she'd make the apple pies. We're off to a fantastic start today. Um, people have obviously tuned in for the apple pie discussion. So what do, you, what do we want to talk about with basketball? First of all, I have to congratulate you. You backed yourself into a corner just about to rank your grandmother's mother's and wife's apple pie, and there's no way that was going to turn out well for you. So that was a perfect time to to transition away from that conversation. That's excellent podcasting. Yeah, I don't know what I'm I'm better at, backing myself into a corner or shimmying out. <laughs> I, I like the term shimmy. There's a point guard I hope we talk about today with when it comes to shimmying and changing directions. So I don't want to talk about that first. The first thing I want to talk about, because this is one of my favorite players in the league, you just had a video come out about mm. Matisse Thibel, who is just aesthetically one of the most fun defensive players to watch in the NBA. Uh, this came out, what, on Friday? I think you had it released. You want to break down for the people some of your, your thoughts and conclusions about Matisse Thibel on defense? Well, I think I should start by letting everyone know that in our Thinking Basketball group chat, Cody has been um, basically worshipping at the altar of Matisse Thibel for the entire season since the first game, maybe maybe since last year. I can't even remember. It's been so long. So this is going to be an interesting discussion because... I assume you're higher on Thibel than I am. I don't know if that's crazy because what's so interesting about a guy like this and, and one of the big conclusions I had in the video is that when you are A, unique, and B, have so many different, um, or such extreme, I should say, strengths and weaknesses, if we can call them weaknesses, he's just in a very extreme kind of player in one specific area, I think that's hard to evaluate. It's hard for us to have proxies of like, oh, hey, look at look at this 25 years of plus minus data and all these players that play like him. I don't know if we can do that. Uh, he also, I think, plays a style and in a way that if he played 30 or 40 years ago, he'd have to play a little bit differently. The, the geometry of the court now allows guys to, um, and especially with drop coverage, come over screens and have a lot of space to pursue them from behind, and that's obviously something that that he loves. And I, I tried to find historical comps. Um, ended up feeling like I really couldn't find any. You know, I I was on Kirilenko for a little bit because of how he surprised people with his length, and he had a little bit of chaos, just like around the elbows and a little bit away from the basket, blocking jumpers and things like that. But he's not quite like that. Um, I was back on your old friend Sidney Moncrief, just how he keeps the ball in front of him and what he likes to do with his, his footwork and his jumping. And that didn't really work. Uh, there's obviously some similarities with Jordan in terms of athleticism and challenging that I talked about in the video, but uh, he's just a fascinating player. He really is. I, I was trying to do a historical comp too, because that's like how I like to, to 
conceptualized players. And Kurolenko, to me, like you talked about in the video, Thibel is not a great rim protector. He's not going to be someone you're going to slot down on defense and he's going to, you know, stop the most efficient shot in the game. Kurolenko, that was his best strength. I mean, he was averaging like over three blocks a game and they weren't just like hunting down blocks. Like he was legitimately stifling people driving. I thought Sean Marion, uh, Sean Marion kind of had that frenetic pace, the really quick types of jumping. But again, I think he was maybe even stronger at the point of attack. Uh, maybe a, even again, better at rim protection. Even Scottie Pippen, but again, better rim protector, not quite as frenetic. I almost think Michael Jordan is the best comp. Not necessarily that Jordan and Thibel are exactly the kind of defender, same kind of defender, but Jordan sort of had that like, I'm going to go rogue here for a couple possessions and see how I can blow up this offense. Yeah. And I think that gave up. I mean, there was a give and take with that defensive sort of style, but that's really the best comp that I have defensively. I like I like the Marion call out. Uh, Jordan's interesting because... I think second three Pete Jordan. I love second three Pete Jordan um, on offense and defense, and his defense to me is almost more impressive. It, it's a little more discipline than when he was younger. He's stronger. He had put on about fifteen to twenty pounds by the time he came back for the second three Pete. So that really wouldn't be the right Jordan comp. It's really that like late eighties, maybe early nineties Jordan, where he just played like a tornado. I, I don't know. Either way, you. You So I landed on, I feel comfortable with this guy as an all-league defender type, but I can't get him into the next tier. See, right away we're back on tiers and rankings. It's, it's, it sucks you in. Um, but I feel like you think Thibel should be in the defensive player of the year conversation. So I think this is where the Thibel conversation gets really tricky. Because when I, when I try and couch conversations with him, I try and specifically say that I think he is the best perimeter defender in the game. And we kind of got into the, the weeds of what a perimeter defender actually means definitionally in a chat earlier. Because when I think I'm comparing him to guys like Rudy Gobert, Draymond Green, Giannis Antetokounmpo, those are all guys that can really protect the rim at a high level and sort of organize the defense as a almost defensive quarterback. And I don't see Thibel doing that. But from what I'm seeing on the perimeter like a player that's not necessarily going to be doing a lot of paint defense. I don't know if I've seen a player that compares to sort of his wrecking ball style of defense. So I think that's where I am. It's like, I don't necessarily think he hits into that top three echelon with those three, but in terms of like, if I'm trying to build a defense and I need some perimeter defenders, Thibel is easily, easily my number one pick. Easily. Okay. Easily. Okay. So can we compare him just for simplicity? We don't have to unearth all of the best perimeter defenders of the last few years let's just take drew holiday yep. from your milwaukee bucks last year i mean he's been like this for a couple years but just last year the way he was used in the playoff run his ability to not only play at point of attack and around screens but his physical strength to switch take away guys in the post not get moved off spots uh, I think those are generally his biggest advantages. Like I said, we could talk about Marcus Smarts. We could talk about other players, but let's just stick with Drew. You're saying that you would rather have Thibault in a role like that, or just if you could build your if you could build your defense, your championship defense, you think you're going to get more out of his chaos than someone who maybe is um, a little more tactically... I want to say versatile, but also traditional. You, you know what I'm saying. Like, I feel like Thibel has to be unleashed in a specific role. And as of right now, that comes with some trade-offs. And I don't yet see 
how you could look at him in another role and say like, oh, yeah, no, it's just going to be phenomenal. I think he has to kind of play like that. Do, do you buy that? And would you still say, yeah, I'd rather have Thibault than Drew there? Yeah, so even in the Bucks system, I would rather have Thibault defensively there. Because I think a lot of what uh, the Bucks do defensively has to do with just like, they kind of play a chaotic defensive style, especially when they have like their Giannis four guards lineup when guys like Pat Connaughton and Dante DiVincenzo are out there. Like they're just zooming around, sort of being disruptive, throwing their bodies in the way of places. And I feel like that would capture a lot of what Thibault does well. And I have some numbers for that that I, I think, here, numbers, here's the thing. Numbers I have some on numbers. this show? I know, it's kind of surprising. I thought uh, your, your audience would like to hear some We're going to break the mold today. We're breaking yeah. the rules for Matisse Thibel. This is different from me saying that the Grizzlies were hungry uh, a couple episodes ago, so I thought I would make a complete 180 change. Uh, so here's the thing. These are numbers from January 14th. So I looked at uh, all 116 point guards, shooting guards, and small forwards that played 500 minutes, and then I just took their uh, steals per 75, deflections per 75, and blocks per 75, and jammed them all together. And... Basically, the difference between Thibel, who's number one by an enormous margin, the difference between him and number six, because only five players were above seven in that metrics, the, the difference between him and number six was the difference between him between number six and number 50. Mm. And so, like, my whole point with Thibel is that the statistical idea of how much of a wrecking ball he is defensively is such an outlier that I don't know what to do with it. And in my mind, when you are an outlier to that degree, it almost covers up any other uh, mishaps you might have. Because I'll definitely accept. Uh, he's definitely like, you know, I think there are definitely better players when it comes to being a team defender, being a one-on-one -on -one defender. But in terms of blowing up schemes, I think it's unprecedented. And I don't know what to do with that precedent. And basically, I'm like, I'm willing to just say that you're the best defensive perimeter player because of that. So I love that. That's amazing. Um, but it does raise something that I think is is at the core of trying to uh, figure out impact in basketball. It probably applies to many other things in life, which is the focus on what you're measuring. So you are looking at, remind me again, it's blocks, steals, and deflections, right? Yep, exactly. Okay. okay. So if we looked at Matisse and we said he's an outlier in this area, does that automatically mean that he's creating or extracting more value than if he were an outlier at field goal percentage at the rim. You see what I'm getting at? It's like you can be an outlier in certain stats and it's possible that by being by doing more and more and more of that I mean there could be diminishing returns, there could be trade-offs that I talk about in the video with uh, gambling or creating some chaos, whatever it may be. I think it's interesting to look at a stat that we've all known forever, like blocks and steals, and think that it indexes heavily on defense. But especially for a perimeter player, um, I'm not sure how much value it can top out at. And I say that genuinely, like I just don't know relative to big men or paint players or big forwards. And if we had a stat here that said, hey, look, this guy, Rudy Gobert, in the last three years, I'm making this up. Rudy Gobert in the last three years, the difference between him and second place in rim field goal percentage is the difference between second place and 50th. Then I'm going to be a lot more comfortable with the data we've collected and knowing how the game works to say like, okay, that is going to literally move him up in my mental you know, rankings of him, my valuation, X number of points. Like We know that that's really valuable. With Thibault... It's cool to see data that reflects what you see on the screen, that he's just creating all that chaos. But 
I still genuinely don't know what that means in terms of impact because the, there's isn't there a trade-off there that I don't get into in the video that I allude to, which is if you're constantly chasing these guys around on the perimeter, that you can't be that guy who plays the Draymond role. You can't be that guy who's protecting the paint, protecting the highest value real estate on the court. Now, someone might say, well, three-pointers are also really high value real estate now along with the layup. Um, I think that's totally true. But remember, Matisse is creating these deflections, these steals, this disruption, uh, usually with one guy, right? Like he can't guard the entire three-point line. He's just so, so kind of long and athletic and his timing is so good that he's able to generate these numbers, usually focusing on one dude. So that's where I wonder if there's like a ceiling and that's why I'm not convinced yet. I'm not even convinced that I would take him in every scheme over your... Um, I mean, Smart and Drew are interesting because they're small, but even just like your traditional really good wing defenders. Like just in my head, I would not put him in the same... I don't know what Kirilenko is, but certainly like Pippen, Iguodala, guys like that. So I think where I come from, and I I think the the parlance, the common parlance for this is like event creation. Um, and Why, why are we doing this? Why are, why are we doing event creation? The, that's what I will say. He's just throwing parties on defense. Like he's so excited. He's inviting everyone to the block party, to the steal party. Can't he just be a playmaker on defense? You could say. I don't. I don't hear that as much. I hear event creation. All it's, right. I got to get with the times. I'm. I'm an old dinosaur. Keep going. Maybe I'm wrong. Scientists, get at me if I'm wrong on this one. Is no, I think that's that's probably the newer. It's probably the newer lingo. Um, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to derail your point. Keep going. No, that's fine. So what I was always <laughs> thinking is like. We always see there's always someone that, that's coming out. It's like every week, it's like, well, actually, defensive field goal percentage doesn't really mean much, right? But at the end of the day, what you want to do, like, defense is trying to stop the other team from scoring. And in my mind, the most efficient way to stop the other team from scoring is through a steal. Like, if you steal the ball, they're scoring 0% of the time on that possession. And then I always think that the most valuable play in basketball, to steal football lingo, a sport that I have no interest in and watch none of, <laughs> is the pick six defensive play. And I, I have no idea how to tally this. I tried doing this once and it was laborious and not particularly interesting. But if you're getting steals, that's a pick six where you start a one on O fast break. That's giving you a basically like 99% chance to score two points and ending their possession with zero points 100% of the time. And so I think those swings, when you think on a per 100 basis, are extremely valuable, especially when they're so much higher than anyone else. And in terms of deflections, that's a way of just like slowing down how an offense might be setting up what they're doing. Like if they spent six seconds in a shot clock setting up, this, uh, setting up some kind of a set, they all of a sudden have six fewer seconds to do that if the deflection led to it going out of bounds or something like that. And putting the numbers that I said another way, uh, Thibel, he racks up three times more of these defensive events than 75% of qualifying perimeter players. Three times more than 75% of qualifying players. Like, again, I see everything you're saying. I'm not saying that, like, I'm the one with the answers and I know for sure I'm right. But some of these absurd numbers are just like, I, I don't know what to do with it. And I'm willing to bet that that just makes him an out-of-this-world defensive perimeter player. Yeah, the the pick six, uh, I mean, the actual outcome of the pick six is obviously one of the best plays in basketball. You end a possession and you get a really, really high percentage layup going the other way. The problem is we've never kept track of blown steals or changing your positional angles. There are actually a couple 
clips in the video that it just wasn't worth getting into of how Matisse likes to close out at high risk angles. So he'll close out on the pass, which takes a little bit longer to get to the get to the closeout sometimes, things like that. Now, when you're as gifted as him, is the trade-off worth it? I think we all agree it's totally worth it. But my problem, this has been at some point in time fetishized by parts, parts of the stats community where they're like, if you look at the box score, steals are the most valuable thing by like, 13 times, I think 538 a couple years ago had an article on steel value. It was like, steals are 13 times more valuable than the next play in basketball. And I'm like, right, but that's only if you ignore all the things you're not measuring, right? Like, that, that's the problem with it. You've, it goes back to the tyranny of the quantifiable, the things you've decided to measure. You're only getting that 99% outcome that's best for the, for the team that gets the steal. You're not seeing all the other stuff that's involved whether it's a missteal or even for a lot of a lot of guys, maybe even Matisse to some degree, the the change in relative percentage of the offense's efficiency over and over and over and over again when you take that slightly different angle. So one of the comments on the YouTube video that I thought was awesome was I like a lot of his chaos. I'm paraphrasing like ten comments. I like a lot of his chaos, but if he could maybe cut out the reach around on screen navigation, right? Then I think that would be a net gain. So you get into this thing where you have these extreme styles of like, how can you continue to optimize? How can you continue to get the cost benefit analysis better and better and better? And maybe there's just certain areas like, I don't know, maybe maybe his closeout angle yields all these blocks, right? Maybe it yields a ton, ton of deflections. That's fantastic. But maybe that's more fat to kind of trim. And then you'd be left with the most optimized version of that defender. And is the most optimized version of that defender on par with Kirilenko or, you know, what, whoever it is? I don't know. But it's, he's a fascinating player to talk about. He definitely is. And I think I do, I do want to add a caveat to that. I think if you take any of these all-time defenders that double as a really strong rim protector, I'm probably going to take that player over Thibel most of the time just because I value rim protection really highly. So I still probably would think that Kurolinko is more valued defensively. Uh, this is why I still think Giannis and Draymond would have more defensive uh defensive value than him but when I'm comparing him to guys like Mikhail Bridges or Drew Holiday or DeJounte Murray I'm I'm probably gonna take Thibel there so here's my final question with this let's uh let's circle back to the initial way that we started this podcast if in your head if you were quickly to throw together some tiers of defenders what tier does Thibel fall into is he a first tier defender to you is he a second tier defender I don't even know how you would organize that on the spot yeah I'm still going to ask you. Well, again, I'm not a huge tiers person, but he's the way I would think about it in my head is he would be in the third group I'd get to. The first would be my like inner circle defensive player of the year, massive needle movers. The second would be really high level, all defensive players. Um, some of them might occasionally get defensive player of the year buzz. Maybe it's warranted. Maybe it's not. And then like the third tier would be really, really good defenders i think i would have him in that third tier that's still small those tiers are still small yeah Yeah. definitely you're still calling him a very very good defensive player yeah um speaking of things that are happening defensively i was actually more interested in what was going on in their offense when i started to watch them but now it's the offense now it's the defense now it's everything the the dallas mavericks have won many games 
recently, Cody. What's what I have it here. They were uh, 15 and 17 a couple weeks ago, and they have now uh, won seven of their last nine games. I guess seven of eight. I don't know why I'm counting that loss. Uh, they've won many games in a row. Let's put it that way. They're now 24-19. They've moved into the five spot in the West. Their uh, SRS over on basketball reference, that's margin of victory adjusted for strength of schedule, is plus 2.6, which is eighth in the league. We talked briefly about them last week, moving into the top 10 healthy teams. Luka Doncic is a, is a good basketball player who plays there. Jalen Brunson also plays there. Uh, what, what's, what's going on with the Mavs? Have they kind of, they kind of caught my eye. They have, I find this to be a really strange team. Cause I think it was probably a month ago. Like I declared very strongly on Twitter. I'm like the Mavericks are my least favorite team to watch. Like full stop. I avoided watching them. Right. I just thought their offense was stagnant. Nothing was really working on defense in the last couple of weeks. I've been checking in and I'm like, okay, I'm digging what I'm seeing now. There's some yeah. interesting stuff going on. And one really big change that I've been seeing is defensively. Like, I think over their last 10 games, they have like a sub-100 defensive rating. And I, I felt really vindicated at first because I'm like, oh, this is awesome. A couple of years ago, I wrote like a pretty clickbaity article that was asking, oh, should Chris Staff's Porzingis be the defensive player of the year? And I'm like, this is it. He's finally going to be realized here. And then I looked and it's like, oh, Porzingis has actually missed like most of this run. And that itself just led me down a rabbit hole. So I think the biggest change for them has just been defensively. They've been a stalwart. I haven't looked deeply enough to really have the ins and outs and X's and O's on what's happening defensively. But two two things I will notice just from starting to watch them more. Um, one is that their defensive focus and communication looks ramped up. It looks sort of tighter. I don't know how much better that was technically from the early part of the season, but it just looks like a team that is now a solid defensive team. Like when you watch them defensively, they're a little more buttoned up. They got their boxes and elbows down. Um, The second thing is I see a little bit more pre kind of attentive tactics, right? So I'm going to rotate a guy early into the lane and pick and roll. If I have the tag situation low, um, can't remember what game I was watching with Luca. He he nice early read on the tag from the low corner. Just that kind of activity helps. And then I was wondering, well, does the combination of Luca's absences and Jalen Brunson getting a larger role, does that give his body a little bit more rest on offense? And then you have more physical stamina to play defense and you have more mental stamina to focus on defense because that can be exhausting and draining. I think some of that's going on with some of the Warriors guys where like, if you're going to invest all of this energy and focus into communicating and being really, really, really cognitively attuned to everything on defense, then that's got to sap a little bit of your offense. And we get a trade-off with Dallas where I'm watching the games and Luca just doesn't feel like he has to do as much as he has in the past. And that's just not not just helping his defense, but um, maybe the entire team in general. I guess there's one more point. What did I have? I said two. The third one, and I'm interested in your take on it, is the combination of Powell, Dwight Powell, and Maxi Kleba. Um, both look like they're playing well defensively, and then they're both really similar and kind of versatile and mobile and switchy, but can kind of protect the rim a little bit it's it's nice i don't know what's going on there but it's nice wow you said so many things that i want to go off on but i'm sorry (laughs) because you specifically asked for that third point i'm going to start with that i love 
love Kleba and Powell. I think they're a really fun tandem out there. And uh, I, I think something we talked about this a little bit with the Nets, but when it comes to pre-rotating and being in the right spot, it's just really important to have your body in the way of the basket. And the Mavericks can roll out these surprisingly large and long lineups. Like even Luka Doncic, not necessarily a great defender, but he's still a very big person. Yeah, like, he's huge. Yeah, you put him there, and that's still like a lot of mass taking up space for somebody that's driving in. Same with Dorian Finney-Smith and how long he is. And then you have, uh, I, I think Kleba, out of the two, I think Kleba's a really good defender. I think he's probably a pretty underrated defender. His rim protection's really solid. I think he's around like defensive field goal within six feet is like negative 10 or something. He holds opponents to shooting 10 percentage points worse when he's around. I see him switching out. Like I think during the recent Memphis game, he was out there on John Morant a couple times and there wasn't like a scramble to get him out of there. It's like, okay, you can handle this for a possession or two. And Dwight Powell, I kind of think he has T-Rex arms. I don't know if his, his arm span doesn't seem to be that long and I feel like that affects his rim protection abilities. I don't think he has the same level as Kleba, but he has that sort of like perimeter perimeter wow that's a tough word perimeter freneticness where he can rotate around cover a bunch of defensive spots and uh you know just be again a 610 guy that's contesting shots within 15 to 20 feet and i think that combination of those two being able to do that while also having somebody that's big like luka Doncic being able to go down and stand just in front of the basket i think all of that is working in concert and kind of coming together now yeah, another another big body there is Dorian Finney-Smith. And so instead of having two or three guards and like this very modern basketball thing where your quote-unquote big forward or your four is what used to be a wing or a small forward is like a 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, kind of lanky guy. Now you've got the two bigs there in Kleba and Powell and then... Luca and Dorian Finney-Smith are like your next two guys on the court. And so it's just a lot of size. Um, it, it's, it's more defensive-minded than I think some of the lineups have been in the past. I mean, Porzingis came back. He came back in their last game, I believe, right? I think the Magic game is his first game back. Yeah, and they blew the Magic out. They completely pulled away from Memphis. Um, they've, they've been like red hot. Both on both sides of the ball. The only loss recently was to the Knicks. You watched that game. Did anything jump out to you uh, in in the Knicks loss? Because that's that's literally the only blemish on their schedule since about Christmas. Honestly, that was one of those where I thought the Knicks just looked really crisp. Things seemed to be working out for them, and I couldn't really think of anything beyond that on a single game sample size. But I remember watching and being like, "Well, the Knicks just look like they're on top of it. Like they're Randall and Barrett aren't necessarily dominating the ball. They have a lot of movement going on." and that was more or less my takeaway from that game. Yeah, no, I do get a little nervous when it feels like the favorite pastime as we get into like the the doldrums of the season are last five games, last 10 games, last eight games, right? And then someone comes along and they say, well, the last eight games, this team's defensive rating is 96. And it's like, well, yeah, but they played Houston and the Knicks and the Magic and the Kings and the Thunder and the Kings again and... I mean, it might be something, and as we're talking about here, when I watch them, they they don't look like a championship defense per se, but now I watch them, and I'm unlike the beginning of the season, and I, I'm like, oh, they're, they're like a solid defensive team. Uh, it's not easy to score on them per se, and they don't have a ton of breakdowns, and they just look way more into it on that end of the court. And, and that leads me to a thought that I... I, I'm just, it's going to be therapy. I'm just going to share it out loud. 
I haven't worked my my myself through these thoughts before. I'm here so this, for you, Ben. Is 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 Jason Kidd? Is he the, is he actually like a really good fit? for this situation is he like a good defensive coach and there the the combination of being a defensive coach but also being a point guard maestro is the perfect thing for this like fiery spicy phenom in in luca who still complains to the refs every time he does anything including score i i don't know cody help me out what do you think about this i think this is really complicated because I think it's complicated by Luka Doncic's performance this season as well. But I'll start at the defensive end. This feels like a callback. Once again, people, all of my analysis is going to be filtered through Bucks fandom. It's just, it is what it is. That's what you're here for. But when he was the coach of the Bucks, it just seemed like load up on super long defenders. Um, I think he was a little bit more like everyone go blitz and trap and run around to do everything. And it, it feels like he's kind of reined that in a little bit more with the Mavericks now, but he, he sort of has that lineup of super long defenders. Like we were just talking about even Marquise Chris, who I don't necessarily know if he's been great, but he's another rangy long uh, defensive player that you can throw out there with Powell and or Cleva. And it's like, Oh wow, that's a lot of length here, especially when Porzingis is here. So I, I think just describing the build of a lot of these players, I sort of think it's the, the kind of roster that Jason Kidd likes working with on defense. So I, I, I really don't know. He left the bucks and I was like, this legitimately might be the 30th best coach in the NBA. So I, I don't know what to do with this right now, but, uh, it's, it's certainly an interesting question. What do you think about it? I, I'm I'm giving you this is like real time. You remember in 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 uh, like English class when you have to just free free write your thoughts or something. Yeah, yeah that's what's happening here. Um, except instead of just me and my teacher, there's a few other people listening. Um, yeah, I don't. I like it better this way. By the way, my my teacher doesn't get access to my thoughts. Those, that's public domain. <laughs> yeah, except like. Pay me, pay me if you're going to read my thoughts. I hope um, none of my students listening think that. Anyway, go on. I don't remember what we were talking about. What, what, what? Just so people know, what subject do you teach? English, actually. So when you were describing that, I'm like, oh yes, I go through like five English classes a day. So I, I remember very well. And have you? Do you do this sort of um, free, free writing exercise where you just write whatever's in your head? Not really. There's usually some kind of parameter. I think it needs to, like, if I'm going to prime you for the kind of conversation, like, for today, my free ride exercise might have been, like, what are your general thoughts on the Mavericks over these last 10 days? Like, that that sort of thing. I'm not asking specifically, but I'm giving you, like, the, the guardrails are pretty wide. Well, the only thing I was thinking of is that I think podcasting is now the new free writing. That's, you know, you don't have to practice free writing. They should just get a mic and um, st- start the podcast. I would love that. I, I've been thinking about incorporating lots of podcasting into school, but there's just the spaces are so tight. There's like 30 of us and we're in this little box and it. Yeah, it, I, I don't know how it would work. I would love to see more podcasting involved, but it doesn't seem like everyone's on, on board with the podcast. Where are we right now? What just Well, happened? look, in the interest of in the interest of bringing us home on time, I promised everyone out there that I would not run over this week. So the question is, uh, do we have anything else to say on Dallas? Do we have anything else to say about anyone in the nba we don't have to talk about the nba we can spend the last three minutes of the show talking what was the best part of your week i don't know three, we can... three minutes oh my goodness i actually do there's one player i need to talk about with that okay I, just, let's, I need to let's finish the show before we before i we... love love jalen brunson i mean this is legitimately one of my favorite players to watch right now there's something about his offensive style he is if i were to like somehow rank like the most 
whoever's the best at changing position, uh, changing direction super quickly and darting in, jumping backwards. I don't know. There's something about watching him that I don't know how you would defend him because it just seems like he teleports like 10 feet backwards and the defender's like, what just happened? And then they lunge forward and he draws a foul. He's so good at whipping passes with one hand like he does it with either hand and it just creates a really nice free-flowing offense. I Man, Jalen Brunson is so good and I don't think he's good enough to be an all-star, but I want him to be because I want people to recognize how great Jalen Brunson is. Jalen Brunson uh, is one of the craftiest guys, I think, in the league. He was one of the craftiest guys when he came into the league. He was one of the craftiest guys in Villanova. I'm fairly certain he was one of the craftiest guys on the playground when he was four. Um, he, I, yeah, I love him as well. I, I think he's probably underrated, even though he's starting to get a lot more recognition. I love, go back to Jason Kidd, man. I love the idea of him basically playing that small guard next to Luca and whoever else it is out there, Dorian Finney-Smith, whatever, we, we talked about it already, and just being that secondary guy on the court who can also run the exact same actions and the interchangeability of having two of these guys on the court, but especially with Brunson, they're not stationary all the time. They're just not taking turns. It's not like the, the Rockets with Chris Paul and James Harden. They're still running actions, and man, his fake handoffs... For instance, those are incredible. His footwork, uh, that's amazing. Just the way he uses his body. He gets you in the paint. You think you're done. Nope, it's a couple pivots, a ball fake, and all of a sudden, how did he get a layup? What, what did he do? He, he teleported around a defender. It's, it's lovely. And then watching, you know, trying to pay a little bit more attention to that defense that we were talking about earlier, he... I don't know how good he is or how good he can be defensively just because of his physical tools, but he's smart. He thinks out there. He, he's in the scheme. He's trying to be a step ahead. He's trying to push the ball in the right direction, into help, things like that. And in today's NBA, I love that from a defender. So, um, yeah, if, if you had told me this earlier, we could have dedicated the entire program today to Jalen Brunson. But I guess we'll, we'll now, now it's too late. So you're saying that you want to extend this an hour just to make it Jalen Brunson hour? I have to. I have a. You know how you are very transparent about your Bucks fandom. I yes. have. I. I always have to be transparent about my player connections, and I'm going to age myself here. But Jalen Brunson's dad was named Rick Brunson, and Rick Brunson played at Temple, and then he had like a cup of coffee in the NBA. One of his contracts was with the Celtics in Boston, um, but I actually think he was still at Temple. When he came to my basketball camp when I was a kid, and I interacted with him quite a bit, and I just loved Rick Brunson as a kid. And then when he was trying to make it in the NBA, I was like, come on, Rick. And I've now been very interested in, in Jalen since then. So I've had my eye on, on, on young Jalen, and uh, yeah, no, he's just really good. Wow. I'm sorry now. I feel like I stole something from you being able to share like even more Jalen Brunson love because I, I could have easily made this a full Jalen Brunson episode, but the people will have to survive with the, the few minutes that we dedicated to him. They'll let us know. They'll let us know if we really messed it up. Yeah, they, if, they will. If we drop the ball they're, they're That's their specialty on. I don't know if you've ever been on Twitter.com. What, what is this website? The Twitter.com? It's a bird. Yeah, it's a birdie website and what it is is they they let you know all all the things you messed up in your life that's oh that sounds really healthy let's let's all go there and talk about important topics um if you want to support the show head on over to patreon.com slash thinking basketball 
We have extra content there. We have a live Q&A that we do every month. I think we're doing one not this week, but next week is our January live Q&A. Those are always really fun. We have an in-season stats leaderboard. We've got extras. Um, you know, I think the latest big extra was the director's cut of the Darius Garland video. Cody, we have to come back and talk about Darius Garland soon. We keep punting this every week. I just feel like the Darius Garland conversation has to be situated in with like three other point guards and or point guard conversations. So it's one of those that's like, we just need to dedicate an entire time for this. So, so we hope- should do rankings. Yes, that's exactly yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, we should do uh, rankings, tiers, ranges, something to do with the best point guards in the NBA. Maybe we'll do that this month. Yeah, that sounds exciting. Anyway, uh, patreon.com slash thinking basketball. Thanks as always for listening all the way through and entertaining all of our our basketball and life today where there's a lot of life thoughts we talked about apple pie and basketball camp and the cold weather in the midwestern parts so thanks as always for listening and of course wherever you are i hope you are having a great day